Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the podcast designed to simplify the complex job of managing and leading people. Our goal with every podcast is to share at least one proven business practice that will help you build a more sustainable and profitable and purpose-driven company. Today's guest, another treat for me, Mr. Bo Neko. He's the CEO of Neko. I know most of you who don't know of this organization start to think of the candy that we all probably ate as a kid, but that's not this company. Neko is in the business of placing foster children with supportive and caring parents in West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, and Georgia. You know, uh, before I bring Bo to the mic, I, I want to just give you a little bit of background. I am fortunate to be on the faculty at Aileron, which helps teach and literally has taught thousands of business owners and executives how to professionally manage their organizations. And then in addition, I've been blessed to be part of the table group and one of their principal consultants with Patrick Lencioni and his organization. So I've had a, a really great exposure to business owners and executives who've worked on becoming good at professional management as well as running companies that are organizationally healthy. But I've never met anybody in my journey that has done a better job of doing both of those and striking the right balance than Bo Neko. So it's a real treat for me to have you join us today, Bo, and have a chance for some of our listeners to, to learn from you. So first of all, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. You're one of those people in the world that give energy, and uh, I'm always happy to see you, talk to you, join you, and feel your energy. So thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. You and I have had this conversation, but it would be really uh, helpful for our listeners if they understand a little bit more about who NECO is as an organization, more importantly, how it got started. And you'll describe uh, along the way some of the things that people need to know, but go ahead and give us some background about NECO. Okay, well... In a very brief way, I can tell you that uh, what we wanted to do in the beginning was start an organization that had a, a social contract that was a, a meritocracy. And meritocracy simply means the best idea wins, regardless of structural power. And we looked around and there were some significant legislative changes happening in the child welfare arena. And that's what I grew up with. My mom and dad always had social justice at the dinner table every night along with a salad and something Italian. So I was pretty, uh, I was pretty interested along the way and I don't know, serendipity things collided. And sure enough, the year I got out of my uh, MBA, President Clinton passed what was really Ronald Reagan's, President Reagan's uh, Welfare Reform Act. And that allowed for-profit companies to enter the arena of foster care and therapeutic foster care for the first time. So that's why we decided to create a social enterprise and to attack a social problem with a different structure. Well, I think you could say it may be a qualified success, but I'd call it an unqualified success given the number of children that you have helped find not only great foster parents, but in many cases, uh, permanency in, in terms of being adopted. And secondly, the ability to scale this thing because usually that's one of the hardest things for any organization is to figure out how they scale and be able to replicate what they've done 
you know, as a, a small business on a, on a big scale. And you guys have done that. So when did you decide to grow or was that always just part of, <laughs> was that always part of the plan? Um, I don't think we even thought about it. We were interested in uh, the problem at the time. Therapeutic foster care was the fastest growing social service in the, the country. And uh, there was a movement of deinstitutionalization. Kids were being raised in residential care. So there was a, a strong motivation, uh, both in the industry and legislatively, to, uh, to move kids out of group homes and large what you, former orphanages. Yep. And so I don't think we ever uh, thought we would be small or had a calculated plan. There was just a, a demand. And 24 years later, yes, we've adopted about 6,000, uh, more over 6,000 children. And we've reunified about, oh, I would say close to 30,000 now through other wow. programs we provide. Is there a limit to what an organization like yours can get involved with? I mean, can you go broader than foster care or do you feel like you just got to stay focused on that principally be up because it would dilute your efforts? Well, we do services other than foster care. There, um, we, we do independent living for children okay. so that when, when children leave foster care, they can move into independent living as long as they have a job or they are uh, in some sort of schooling or a combination of. And okay. really, that's very helpful because it takes a child that, um, yeah, the old the adage that they're an adult when they're 18, I don't know who made that up, but in a word, they were wrong. Um, so what we can do is help move them to a, a living wage and teach them everything from you know, how to do laundry to, to, to get a job and GEDs and things like that. So we provide an independent living and, and other services, but all the services do the same thing. We're trying to change the trajectory of a child's life. So if a child's been dealt a bad hand in life, what we want to do is make sure that we can correct that and really focus on citizenship. You and I have done this organizational health journey together. Would you Would you agree with that? That, that yes, we that, have. Yeah. That we, so we've we've been on quite a journey for the last three and a half four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue that you were already purpose driven before you knew there was such a thing. Is that Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I don't think we knew what to call it. Um, we, we understood meritocracy, and we were working very hard to keep all the different principles alive to help support that meritocracy. But uh, I think the purpose was just sort of ubiquitous, but never named. If it was a feeling and, and people shared it, but it wasn't codified. There wasn't a, a clear, concise purpose statement that, that drove the organization. No, it's just a bunch of high energy adrenaline junkies getting off on, you know, helping kids. It just feels good. And whether it's whether it's our our foster parents that experience that or our um, our staff, you just it's just an incredible feeling that you never get tired of doing. Yeah. So that that energy just keeps coming and coming. And some of the other uh, activities that I'm now too old to do, like, uh, you know, mountain biking and skiing like a nut. I uh, can't do that anymore. But, you know, I don't know, about a month ago, I went to a, a court date and there's 14 kids being adopted. And I was you know, goosebumps all over and crying like a baby. It's just it's, I don't, it never gets old. No, it doesn't. I get energy uh, from being around the organization because I hear these stories frequently. And a couple of them that really have touched me was just an example of uh, being that you and your caseworkers and the folks that do the work that you do oftentimes get to be part of a kid's first birthday 
party or their first Christmas or first of all kinds. And, 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 you know, I've been fortunate to live in a world where I've been blessed from the time I've been a youngster of being loved and cared for. And so the idea of not ever having experienced a birthday just was foreign to me. And when I, when I've thought about it, what a, what a gift to be able to provide that. Oh, to kid. Yeah. We, we love first. Uh, I could, I remember very clearly, uh, I don't know if I share the story with you or not, or, Maybe someone else has, but we had a we had a little girl who was 13 years old and had a very modest birthday party because we picked her up and it was a birthday and took her to McDonald's. And she said thank you to every single person there because she didn't understand what was going on. It was her birthday wow. and uh, she'd never had a birthday party. And as modest as it was, uh, again, quite a feeling. So, yeah. yes, you uh, well, what's your advice to to other for profit entities that aren't necessarily involved in such a noble cause as yours? about uh having a purpose do you i mean do you think it works uh for for traditional businesses or, or not uh i don't think you can fake it i'll say that uh i think that you either do it wholeheartedly or don't bother i think that um when i i read especially the like the a lot of the large publicly traded companies and they're doing things uh to fulfill requirements regulatory requirements and the uh, like the corporate social responsibility stuff. Checking um, the box. Yeah, they're checking a box. And I think see, people see right through it. And I don't mean that universally, but I mean, I, I, you see that. So uh, there are people that do that and they really mean it. And there are people that are checking the box. So um, I, you, not everybody is a purpose driven company. It's not in their DNA. It's not what that company is wired for, but that doesn't mean that you can't support a purpose. But uh, I would, I would say, don't dabble. Go go in all the way if you're going to do it. Yeah, give it all you got. What would you say um, for for Neco? What what's the benefit of being purpose driven uh, outside of the the cause of serving the kids? What's it do for your employees? What's it do for the company in terms of outputs that you find valuable or beneficial? Well, first of all, I think that uh, it what happens is you end up with people that have energy that they wouldn't necessarily have. There's that old, uh, I think it's a Navy SEAL quote that says when you're tired, you've actually only given up about 40% of your energy, that there's a lot more left. And what happens is people become energized, electrified. They dig deep and find energy and find uh, ways to do things they didn't think they could personally do. And then they motivate children to do things that the children didn't think they can do. Uh, maybe it's vice versa. Maybe it goes both ways. I think it probably does. So I, I, that's that's kind of how I see it. Do you see that reflected in your financial results? Is there a, a financial or a, a business case that, you know, that, that professors would say makes good sense to be purpose-driven? Or is it just a qualitative thing about the culture that, that it drives? No, I think, it, I mean, it's my personal belief. I don't think that a lot of research has been done on, we refer to ourselves, ourselves as a social enterprise. I'm not sure that a lot of research has been done, but I certainly think that what we see is high levels of productivity and, and motivation that you wouldn't otherwise see in typically in our space. Right. So I, I think, I think that has a lot to do with, with structure. Uh, you taught me that uh, structure dictates behavior. And I think that what you'll, what you see is in most of the nonprofit community, you have people that the core competency is, is driven by their structure. And that core competency is fundraising. Whereas in a for-profit company, that structure 
dictates a different core competency, which is to become very good, become very efficient, and also hold yourself accountable. And uh, I think the result is you provide a better service or for others that create products. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in structure dictating behavior. And I think that primarily it, it dictates your core competency. What are you good at? Yeah. You're listening to the Ed Epley Experience. Email Ed now with your questions for today's guest to podcast at theepleygroup.com. In his book, Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros, author Ed Epley breaks down key practices of professional management, how to implement them, and why it matters. Purchase your copy on Amazon.com today. Develop your competitive edge for the future while building a sustainable and thriving business. The balance that you have been able to think about and intentionally strike between being a smart business, um, professionally managed, and a healthy business that has this strong culture. What's the, what's your cues for which pedal to press on? You know, we, today we need to become smarter. We need to put in more technology and procedure and process. And tomorrow we need to worry about minimal politics and clarity. How, how do you how do you know which one to press on because you've done that as well as anybody that I've seen. Um, oh, mother time is what I would say. At uh, different times, yes, you need uh, you need to push different pedals. If you need to grow, you better have invested time in the smart. You better have spent the money on the infrastructure necessary to grow, and because you can't replicate. Otherwise, you're looking at individual heroic efforts that may or may not succeed. And you may wear people out. I think it was uh, Peter Senge says you can whip horses and they'll run faster for a while. So if you have systems, good systems, really smart systems, then you can add and bolt on without wearing people out. And that's sustainable. What's not sustainable is if you don't have those systems. Now, the flip side of that is you have to have the money to be able to pay for the systems and the processes. So (laughs) (laughs) early stage, an entrepreneur, I remember answering the phone, taking out the garbage, uh, taking a referral, placing the kid, taking the kid to the therapist. I mean, you name it. Everybody had to do everything. The, the, the only systems and processes we have is turning the lights off at the end of the day. So as you grow, I think you have to pay attention to, uh, you know, you bite off a big chunk or you, you, know, you make a commitment that we're going to work with this many kids in this area and then when you get to the point where you feel comfortable that you're providing that child the services they need and you've met your moral and ethical obligation, then you can take another bite of the apple. But you better have the money on hand to pay for the systems and processes or you're just you're going to take the fun out of it. One of our corporate principles is, is fun because this work is hard. And if you don't have the right systems and processes, it's not any fun. And if it's not any fun, uh, the kids can can feel that. And that's, uh, that's reflected in, in your work. If you think about who you are naturally, intuitively as a person, Bo, do you think you're more inclined to like uh, to work on the systems and processes and the smart stuff? Or do you think you're more inclined to work on the organizational health, cultural, uh, environmental stuff? I think I'm worth about, uh, I think my first 
job was three dollars and thirty five cents an hour. Yeah. If I worked on systems and processes, I would be at two dollars and seventeen cents an hour. <laughs> so um no, I'm terrible at systems and processes. Um I couldn't figure out how to use the microphone before we got started. <laughs> but uh, and and I'll just confirm for the audience that that is true. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I think uh, I missed a few <laughs> buttons on my shirt. So I, what's important uh, to me, I, re I remember in my, uh, I'm kind of an odd duck. I, I have a degree in philosophy and international business. And so um, some people in the mental health community diagnosed me as bipolar. I think that's a joke, but I don't get it. Um, <laughs> I, I remember in, in my way back uh, MBA days, there was two hallways you could go down. You know, it was the, the finance hallway or right. there was a, there was a strategy professor and, and I, I knew which way I was going. It was um, it was really organizational health, and I didn't know that at the time. But I was interested in, in strategy and organizational behavior and things like that. You know, a question that I I told you we were going to ask, and one that I ask all my guests is is, you know, you've you've got to give somebody that's that's a manager, a leader, a business owner some advice. If there was one thing that you would tell them that that you would say, you know, make sure you do this or don't do that. I really don't care from whom you learned that, but, but what is that one thing that you would say is pretty indispensable regardless of who the manager or leader might be? Well, I have uh, something called the five fingers and uh, I may or may not, I think I've shared this with you. We I do the, uh, we do a huddle yeah. uh, and every morning I speak with uh, each of our staff and we answer the question, uh, how are you adding most value to the company today? And that's my way of touching with my fingers. So when I talk to the people that I supervise, I literally touch each finger to my thumb. And if they're not on the huddle, I make a point to call them. So I think that if you supervise someone, I don't think it matters whether it's business related. It can be personal. But if you are ending your day and you haven't touched, you know, I supervise five people on my team. If I haven't touched all five fingers, I reach out, send them a text. It can just say hello. But that keeps you connected. And I think that is probably the single most important thing you can do is touch base with the people that you count on in a personal or professional way. What's the most people you've ever directly supervised or managed? Because you only got five <laughs> fingers on one hand. And yeah, might, if you go yes. to both hands, that's 10. So what's the limit? Well, I uh, distinctly remember, uh, this is funny, I, I was supervising 19 people at one time and I was complaining to my father, who was a university professor for many years. And, and he said to me, how many people do you supervise? And I started writing it down because I had to write it down because I, I didn't know. Right. And and I've seen that wrote, before with other. Yeah. yeah. So I, I realized that I knew better because I had read some of the greats and they have advised against that. And I knew at that moment what the problem was. <laughs> so uh, yeah. what do you think, what do you think is the limit for most people about the span of control? How many people can somebody effectively manage and lead? I'd say five to seven, but closer to seven. Okay. I think you start, I think, I think it, after five, it's diminishing returns. And I heard a, a Navy SEAL talk about that. And I figured, well, if they figure out that they need five people they can count on to make sure they don't die doing such incredibly dangerous right. missions and things that they do, I'm going to stick with five too, because I'm carrying some pretty precious cargo as well, which are these, these children. So I, I, I like five. So if somebody, if somebody says I can effectively manage uh, direct reports of 12, what, what's your first response? You may not say it, but what would you at least be thinking? Oh, I would say it. Um, <laughs> I would say, well, um, I will bet you that you have a line at the door. 
because I had a friend that thought that he uh, needed to make every decision. And every time he went to see him, there was literally a line at the door. And um, <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, everybody has a brain. Let's get every brain in the game. If you want to wear yours out, it's probably not going to make uh, as good of decisions. And uh, my good friend Ed Epley once told me, you need to focus on the things only you can focus on. <laughs> so um, that only you can do. And if you're busy uh, making decisions that someone else can do better than what a waste of time, shame on you. So I appreciate you bringing that back up. The, yeah. The context of that is that I've, I've often said to programs of, of managers where I've been trying to help them with professional management is that your responsibility is to spend your time doing the things that can and should be done by somebody doing the job you're in. Well, you know, it's, there's certain, certain things that are the essence of whatever that job is. And most of us don't spend the the full measure of our day doing that because of a lot of distractions. But a lot of the times it's self-inflicted because we don't have the right structure. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah, tell me a little bit about uh, the difference in the meetings that go on at NECO today versus four or five years ago. Well, before we got started, they were just regular meetings. And uh, I would say you would meet for the sake of meetings. And I remember distinctively having uh, a few meetings, more than a few, if I want to be honest about this, where the only thing we decided was when and where we were going to meet again. <laughs> so um, when we started working with you and uh, implementing this uh, meeting structure that we now use, wow. Um, first of all, everybody who's on a team gets together each morning. And you have a huddle and you answer that question. How am I adding the most value to the company today? Only takes a few minutes. Seems kind of silly, but it's amazing what you learn. First of all, you learn what your people are doing. And if they're doing something that doesn't seem to add up, you can give them a call afterwards. But you can also pay attention to their voice inflection. If they're not available, they can send a message. And then you might want to chat with them later, maybe with the doctor or something like that. Right, that, that, right. that touching base really... Um, is, is very helpful. And then then we have uh, tactical meetings once a week. And those meetings are great because what we do is we take a look at some key variables and what we've decided is the most important things that we need to focus on. And then we take a look at our dashboard and we see how we're doing. Well, you know, what do we need to focus on? So that meeting does not have an agenda. You can't walk in with an agenda item. The agenda is dictated by uh, what's called a lightning round. And the lightning round is taking a look at those things that we agree are most important, looking at our square card and seeing how we're doing. And um, that really helps. And then uh, we have a strategic meeting uh, once a month and we review some of those goals and make some adjustments, kind of like the baseball player adjusting their swing. Maybe we're measuring some things that we ought to change or adapt. And then every 90 days we get out of the office for a, a strategic offsite. And the only other meeting you can have is an ad hoc. And if you get in the middle of one of these other meetings, and start wasting a lot of people's time, you just say ad hoc. And that way, only the people that need to be there can go there. Yep. And that that's that's the meeting structure in a nutshell. And I think that it really has two things. One is it saves an enormous amount of time, but it also speeds up the decision-making process. And, you know, in, in our business, 92% uh, of our costs are people. So we win or lose based on how our people spend their time. So if they're wasting it in meetings, then then that means they're not using it to help children and we're in the business of helping children, not wasting time. So the meeting structure has, has been a tremendous help. Did, did you us. have a dashboard uh, before uh, you went down this meeting strategy approach? Or was there a dashboard for NECO or not? 
yeah, we were we had uh, we had developed something. Well, we didn't develop it. We we were using um, the uh, balance scorecard, okay. which is Cap Kaplan and Norton, yep. Uh, yep. a professor from MIT and Harvard, and we got we were trained with this uh, scorecard. And it just so happens that the balance scorecard marries really well with this meeting structure, because what we have is what we decide on what's the most important as an executive team, of course, with a lot of feedback from folks from all of the company. And then what we do is we we put that in our scorecard, our scorecard, um, and that the company scorecard. And then each state has a scorecard, and then each region has a scorecard. Each person, each team, everybody has one. But what we're able to do is cascade what's most important and make sure that everybody is adding uh, their contribution, and everybody's contribution is slightly different. Yep. But we're all we're all driving for the same goal. Yep. What we want is to help these children find a family or citizenship, and. Regardless of the circumstances, whatever when a child comes to us, they all need the same thing. They need a family, or in some cases, they need citizenship. They still need a family, but they also need citizenship. So that's the beauty of the the scorecard methodology, uh, combined with a meeting structure, is that you're able to drive clarity through the organization and make sure that everybody knows. Uh, we call it this our social impact. How do you maximize your social impact? Yep. You. Yep. Um, that we all collectively have agree upon. So if we agree that we're going to adopt a thousand kids this year, what's your contribution to that goal? And everybody gets measured on it. Nobody does uh, more important work than the folks at NECO and nobody's done a better job at getting the right balance between smart and healthy than our guest today, Bo NECO. It's sure been a pleasure to have you on Bo. And I want to thank you for your friendship and uh, not only to me, but to my bride, Fran, and um, it's, it's, I'm excited to I'm, I'm really excited to be able to, to spend time with you anytime, anywhere. Uh, so so thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm always happy to talk about child welfare. And I'll say that um, we've gone from uh, we've gone from a, a solid D to a solid C plus. But we're looking forward to going all the way to an A minus. We've got the 24 years under our belt and I'm team to go. So uh, we'll be hanging out for a while. Ed. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Bo. And if you uh, listeners want to know more about professional management and organizational health, please go to our website, theepleygroup.com. That's E-P-P-L-E-Y group.com and all one word. And then uh, there you can get different blogs uh, that I've written or posts, as well as our book, Let's Be Clear, in both hard copy and audio. And if you just want to simply uh, have some questions for me or take our free assessment, please do that. But thank you for listening. I suspect we'll have Mr. Bo Neckel on with us again. Thank you to all you listeners for joining us, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks, Bo. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.